Greetings and welcome to the Navigating What's Next podcast from Lunavi. I'm your host, Joe Kozlowitz, here today to talk information security with two of our in-house experts. Let's meet them. First off, we have Bob Heskett. Bob, would you care to introduce yourself? You bet. Hello, everybody. My name is Bob Heskett. I'm the Director of Security and Compliance for Lunavi. I've been with Lunavi pretty much since inception. I've really fulfilled a bunch of roles. My IT background really goes back 25 years, really doing anything from desktop to enterprise support across the fleet. And really, my expertise has grown throughout the years. And really, in the last couple of years, watching the environment and all the changes and security running to the top of everybody. I've really taken an interest in. In the last couple of years, I've really started focusing my efforts and found the ability to jump into a security clients role within the company. So nowadays I, I spend most of my time really in the books, looking at what's out there, all the new technologies that are coming. And I really look forward to this discussion. Thanks, Bob. We're also joined by Saeed Sheik. Saeed, what's your story? Thank you very much. I am Saeed, and I have been with Lunavi for the past five years, a little more than that, and been in the IT industry for more than 20 years now. Started at the help desk and been working on the server side, on the infrastructure and administration. And then within the past couple of years, I've moved my focus towards information security and InfoSec. And I would say that, yeah, that's been quite rewarding. And as Bob said, we spend a lot of our time scoring the websites and trying to find out any new threats that we need to mitigate against and respond to it. Thank you both so much for hanging out with me today. Being on the marketing side of things, we see a lot of doom and gloom type headlines around information security. And of course, breaches are serious business. I thought we might launch our conversation by chatting about kind of the top trends right now, things that are kind of buzzing. So in the wake of the pandemic, we've seen a huge shift to working from home and supporting employees across a myriad of devices. How has your approach to security changed to accommodate this trend? Well, you know, I think we might have had a little bit of an advantage compared to some companies because we are a very Microsoft-centric company in general. And so we had a bunch of tooling out there. What we were doing in the process of the pandemic is we were really migrating our services already up into an Azure footprint and really getting away from this on-prem, this local domain type environment in order to allow us to really reach out into other resources and control and have a little bit more visual footprint of where our services are needed and how to consume them. And so we started early on moving into the Azure directory and start incorporating things into some of the Defender and tooling out there for specifically on the endpoints, because what we really saw out there is a loss of ability to touch the endpoints. Everybody's on a different network and you don't know what's going on exactly. So we're really looking at the tooling and Microsoft gave us a huge footprint where we could really just open it up and get the specific things that we are wanting to utilize and start utilizing all the services out of there. You bet. And one thing I would like to add here is that now the approach is more towards a zero trust mindset where you try to validate both your devices and your users. And because the users and devices at the end are the ones accessing your resources, you can set up conditional access at multiple layers. And it's basically about setting up the policies so that no matter where your users are, and what devices they're using, and whenever they're coming in to access your resources, 
you can make sure that your policies are applied across the board and you have all the security policies, all the good things in place. That's a good transition to another trend that I've been reading about lately, which is authentication abuse. And I think that's really kind of tied back to this whole concept of working from any device and being able to control that user access to corporate resources. So how would you say that you approach user account security? You know, in general, we don't trust anybody. <laughs> but really, when you look at it, you got to take it in a lot of different layers on that side of things. So we oftentimes make sure that you are utilizing things such as MFA so that, that you're not just an open password out there. You're using dual authentication against stuff. We are looking at different SIM type technologies where we're actually alerting off of uh, bad logins that are from different geos within certain time frames, and really taking a look at what's coming in, what's talking and utilizing our systems on that side of things. And one thing I would like to add to what Bob has already said is that the thing that we are looking for are anomalies. And because we are collecting all our logs in log analytics workspace, and running analytics right on top of it, we can actually bubble up all the anomalies and anything that's out of place. For example, impossible travel, a user signing in from one geographic location, and then within the next two, three hours, they sign in from a totally geographic location, which is impossible for them to travel. And then we just need to look into it to make sure that it was a legitimate use, maybe by logging in through a VPN or maybe connecting through a remote site. So things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any other common types of alerts or threats that you see related to user count security or this type of distributed workforce? Well, one of the other things that we've really started taking advantage of too is a lot of the SSO capabilities. So a lot of vendors out there that are pretty common within the business environment, a lot of your support travel ticketing systems, your Salesforce, things of that nature. You have the ability now to really tie them back into your Azure and make it a full SSO so you can remove that ability to have multiple user accounts and multiple passwords and everything's getting linked. The key about that is now you're able to start tracking login information and your session information all in one central point and push that back into the Azure or your center log analytics so you get that full visibility of what those users are, are doing. And when you start seeing them anomalies, whether it's a brute force type attack or something like that, it really gives you a whole bunch more information and insight when you're really looking at those, those items. The beauty of the single sign-on is that the sign-in information, the username, password, is never shared with the resource provider. So for example, Salesforce. They will only get the token for your authentication and they will never see your username and password. So that's another layer of security that you have by leveraging Azure AD accounts versus creating individual accounts in those resources that they're using. That's a little bit curious to me because it almost seems like it could be less secure simply because if that Azure account login is breached, then they have access to everything. So again, you got to think that we're looking at things from a lot of different angles, right? So in order to breach the account, they've got to overcome things that are such as your MFA. They've got to overcome the different geo style things that may be incorporated in. And we're working at your resources being accessed from. And so there's a lot more security being done on the back end. And it gives you more of a control plane and, and that visibility too for the usage of those resources. Okay. 
this does kind of tie into another topic that I wanted to cover as we're speaking about logging into different services. And of course, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, software as a service, these are standard modes of operation for many organizations today. When it comes to managing security across different service providers and infrastructure sites and hosts, what tips might you have? Uh, is this kind of mostly focused on the network and perimeter defenses, or does the attack surface increase when these different services have to talk to each other? Yeah, there's definitely the areas where you might be opening things up, depending upon how things are done. So you want to make sure that you're only opening up what is needed to make sure that those things sign on and them types of things are being done correctly. But outside of that, there's a lot of other things out there. It, it depends upon what you're looking at. So like we have public cloud customers that use our public cloud services and they want to be able to control their users' logins. And so as a cloud provider, we offer things where they can utilize SAML and tie that into our vCloud. So then we're not actually controlling any of their authentication. And that goes back to their corporate. And so whenever you're looking at it from that network side of things, anything that you can do to centralize authentication, so across different network spaces, you want to make sure your switches, routers, wireless access points, all of those devices are actually centralized and logging all of their authentications back to a centralized syslog server. And then if you can take that syslog and start running log analytics against it, you start to get that holistic view out there. And so you can do a lot of different types of things. We oftentimes use Lighthouse and there's a couple of different flavors of Lighthouse. From a service provider, we utilize the Azure Lighthouse in order to provision CSP services. And then they also have started pushing out a new Defender Lighthouse where we can actually access their Azure Active Directory and start working with Defender. And so when we are working with customers, and you should always look at how you're interacting with your service providers in order to try and remove them CML channels wherever you can be able to get as much log information. If something should happen, then you can at least know where it came from. But when we're looking at Lighthouse, it allows us to essentially manage and maintain our user lists against whatever resources that customer is able to give us access to. And then we can control them, them work planes, and make sure that our users are actually adhering to really least access required to do their job. One thing I'd like to add here is that the other flavor of Lighthouse is Microsoft 365 Lighthouse that Microsoft is pushing so that the CSPs can actually manage the Office 365 and Azure AD environment for the tenants. And this will provide the partners to be able to provide more services that manage the customer environments for them. So it sounds like there are quite a few different tool choices out there. And so you guys have kind of settled on Lighthouse as one good option for us. Obviously, we're quite embedded in the Microsoft ecosystem. Have you ever run into any troubles trying to implement that with a client who may not be using as much within Azure? It's really just a couple of requirements in order to get that set up and running. And so it's getting some global access or some security rules specifically. And we can work directly with the individual or we can give them an instruction set. 
And really, it only takes a couple of minutes to put those things in place to really set it up so that you have that visibility. And the great thing about it is it's one of the MSP services. Once you're done, then you only have one place to shut off access for everybody that was working within that service provider. So you don't have to go through and clean up for all kinds of different directory access. You can shut it off in one fell swoop. Do you have anything else you wanted to share about tooling in general? Just kind of curious about the overall stack that we're using here at Lunavi, how you choose to select those and which tools focus on which areas. So we have things like you're talking about Lighthouse right now or Cloud Defender for web apps in regards to the distributed workforces we are already discussing. But then there's also Sentinel or Azure Security Center. I know we've also used Sophos in the past for endpoints, and there's also Nessus for vulnerability scanning. So could you kind of compare and contrast there for a moment just to let our listeners know why we've chosen the tools that we do? You bet. There's a whole array of different tools out there that are available. And when we're looking at tooling, we kind of are looking at it across the board too. And so the specifics of tools that we can talk about I'll kind of start at the top level of what are you trying to accomplish? A lot of our tools are looking at what are the logs and the analytical side of things that we can gather and trigger and react on. Some of the other types of tools really are endpoint control and how do we manage and maintain that? Because at the end, our users are one of the people are going to be the most susceptible out there to everything that's going on. And so we're using things like Autopilot and Intune to accomplish some of our endpoint management to deploy software so that we can make sure things like encryption is enforced across the board. And if it doesn't meet the configuration policies, it's giving us notifications so we can take actions. And then we've got other things out there as the different vulnerability scans. We look at it both from an internal and an external standpoint, right? Because the external is one of the first things of how someone is coming in. So that's one of the areas that I see missed across the board from a lot of the engagements that we go into in the beginning is they've never really looked to see what's going on because they may think everything's patched in, in a good place. But if they actually had some firewall rules that were opened up or some misconfigurations, even devices that may be not running new code versions may be susceptible to some sort of an attack vector that, that could be out there. So we do a lot of that vulnerability scanning. We look at not only from looking at different ports and at the IP, but there's also the applications, right? And so even if your system is up to date and that sort of stuff, well, you may have some bad code in there. And so they make tools out there. And so that's one thing that we've also started to do is we've seen a lot of the threat vectors out there increases. Not only look at some of our own internal side of things, but what are the vendors pushing out there and our vendor sites and everything, you know, because a lot of stuff that we're given is a portal nowadays. And so we want to make sure what we're providing to our customers is good, even double checking our vendors. So from a customer standpoint, looking at it holistically, you kind of got to look at what the inventories are and what kind of things, what policies do you have in place? And then you can start utilizing all these different tools to achieve the goal. 
a very interesting thing, especially let's say about apps that your users are using. Microsoft already has a very good tool for this called Microsoft Defender for Cloud Apps. And it gets this information from your logins, from your Intune and everything. And then it actually gives you information and you can discover the applications that your users are actually using. And not just that, it also gives you insight on each application. What is the compliance status for it? What's the security status for that particular application? And it gives it an overall score, which can actually help you guide your policy and decision on if it's an application that your users should be allowed to continue using. So you can sanction it, or it could be an unsanctioned application, which you do not want your users to continue using and block access to it. So there are a lot of tools that give you insight and are very helpful, especially in these cloud native environments where you can actually leverage them. And no matter where your users are, it can give you a lot of insight and control over what your users are doing. Yeah, you hit on a couple of good points there, site. Other tools that we've really started using from an internal stance is things like our Microsoft 365 compliance in order to make sure your PHI data, if it exists out there, making sure nothing isn't ending up where it should be. So having the insight to be able to look at your SharePoint resources, your OneDrive resources uh, across the board and be able to quickly look at stuff and take the right path. Before we didn't have a lot of these tools. And so as we get into this Microsoft ecosystem and Microsoft is continually expanding and updating their tools when I first started Sentinel side of things, that we were under a hundred different playbooks out and they're always pushing them out. So one of the things that, you know, Saeed, I always see doing is going out there and looking at the different things that are coming out in Sentinel and then looking at what we can do to push it out for our customers to really look at the impact that it could have for things like solar winds breaches that are out there. Sentinel's pushed out a bunch of different playbooks and Saeed's always pushing those out to our customers. An excellent point there. So especially for these tools that are more looking towards the risk, because the risk landscape has been evolving rapidly, Microsoft has had to rapidly evolve their tools around those risks. So for example, Azure Sentinel, when it started and the first customer when we onboarded, there were only 16 connectors at that time when we onboarded the first customer. And today, I think there are more than 120, 25 connectors at this moment. So they are constantly adding new connectors that can provide more data into your Sentinel and then can provide more analytics and enrich the telemetry and the points that it has to be, be able to detect more and more anomalies and then give you a better protection against these risks. Do you guys have a favorite tool or a specific feature within a tool right now? It may sound kind of corny, but one of the tools I like to utilize is having the ability to remove email from users as, as we've seen a huge uptick in a lot of phishing attempts and things of that nature. And even as good as some of the email scanning and the layering that we've got in place, things still skip through, you know. When it does skip through, it hits quite a few different systems. So, so really having the ability to go in and yank email that we know is bad, that could be potentially malicious before anybody gets it in across the board in a matter of moments. And then having that really pushed down so that it really does not open us up for them users to click on them links or anything like that. That's just a really quick, easy one that has been very handy. <laughs> the one for me, I think would be dynamic groups. They're so much fun to work with. If you set up the logic correctly, they can do the work for you. So 
imagine you get a new user, you need to put them in certain department, they need to get certain licensing, they need to get certain access. Well, if you have your dynamic groups in place and you create the user with the correct department and the correct parameters, they will end up getting all of those and you don't have to do that. So that is really amazing. And I just really love that. That's cool. Do you have any other go-to targets for automation within your processes or your tools? So automation, the buzzword. <laughs> well, that's a good example. So I just threw out there though. Yeah. So we are constantly trying to improve and incorporate automation kind of across the board. So from a lot of internal processes, from our onboarding and that sort of stuff, we've been able to capitalize on a lot of the built-in features out there and automate some of them. But a lot of long-term customer-facing stuff, you got to make sure it's good across the board at the enterprise level. And so we're continually working with our teams. And so we've been able to push out automation to really build and get some of our SIM stuff initially set up. And we're continually evolving it so that we can automatically push new rule sets without having to manually push them out across the board. But as far as some of the day-to-day -day automation, we do a lot of things as far as the reporting and notifications to our customers, notifications from within our internal groups and escalation, depending on alerts that are coming through. Things like that are some of the key automation pieces that we use today. I know within Azure Security Center, you can remediate some issues within a single click, which may not be what you would immediately think of with automation, but it's an automated step towards remediation. Is that something that you might find difficult to trust, or would you rather be in there getting your hands dirty and knowing for sure that the issue is resolved? No, those things that are already really incorporated into those security service, I trust them. And we, we really have to learn to trust them today. The nice things about it is you do have the ability to get responses and information updates as you push them out. So there'll be a review process and you can track what's going on on that. But with the landscape, every evolving number of threats that are coming in, it, it's one of the things that you have to be able to trust is that level of automation out there and being able to handle threats accordingly. But a lot of the tools, they also give you the ability, if there is something misclassified, you know, you can easily go through and then resubmit it. And you do have to really pay attention to those things or else your end users will be impacted because if it's going to start identifying incorrect things and doing that across the entire organization, you know, it impacts the end user. So when you start looking at the automation, you always got to trust but validate, I guess. I will agree that the automation is something that you want to be in place. I usually don't trust it the first time I run it. I just go and validate just to make sure that, okay, it is doing what it's supposed to. But after a few runs, then you can actually trust the automation. And as long as I have a way of either validating what the automation is doing, or secondly, if I can look at the actual code, it gives me exactly what it's doing, then I can definitely trust it knowing what it's going to do and not going to break anything for me. But whatever it says it's going to do, at the end of the day, if it's able to do it, I definitely would prefer automation instead of going to manually do each and everything myself. That's understandable. So I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about how you guys work with clients on the security fronts we offer some level of managed services around information security, as well as consulting. So 
When you're brought into a project, you first sit down with a client, what is your first step that you take to assess their security posture overall? A lot of times you got to have the open discussion of what are your requirements? You know, what sorts of policies do you already have in place? Because if you don't have a starting ground of some of the goals that you're trying to get to, then you need to put those in place. And so it may be, is your security, do you even have a posture? You know, let's define the posture. And then once you kind of know where that's at, it's really, let's look at what you have in place now. What tools are you using? How are you using them? What kind of data are you getting out of it? And then bringing that back holistically and then showing them what tools that we have, what's available, what may complement and show other things, and then really pushing them to look at what the next evolution of security is, because that security continually changes. One of the things that we oftentimes see customers look at or don't look at is really any of that external penetration side of things. Most customers, you know, they may look at their updates and everything internally, but they don't ever actually look at what people can see from the outside. And so using some of our tool sets then, and and then we start looking at their logging and helping them push into the Sentinel and start triggering alerts. Then we start looking at their penetration and their coverages, making sure that their patching policies and procedures are in place. Looking at zero type the day type things, you know, do they have any zero day policies in place if something should break out? How are they going to push those things in? Then looking at the infrastructure aspects of things, like you said, we do a little bit of everything. We do our own infrastructure, we do customers infrastructure. And then looking at how is that infrastructure configured, trying to use some of our tools to do scans across those to see what types of things we can see so that we're closing those doors on potential penetration. So many of our new customers that are coming in are engaging us for setting up their environment for them. So as part of the build process, security is key cornerstone in that. And we make sure that they're following the security best practices. We offer them all the tools available and what are the best options for them to be able to decide based on their goals and what do they want to do. If the tools actually meet with their requirements of, let's say, Is it compatible with any existing tools that they might have? Sometimes they have preferences working with, let's say, a certain type of firewall instead of one that we are offering at that time. So we will advise them about what the options are, and then the clients can go with whatever it. But at the end of the day, we make sure that the client has all the options available and they are following the security best practices to mitigate any risks and secure their environment. Have you seen any common threads with clients approaching Lunavi specifically for security services, whether it's part of a larger project or only for help on the InfoSec front? As of late, one of the things that we've seen a big deaf tick is really utilizing the SIM side of things. And most companies haven't really incorporated that or they're looking holistically across their fleet and being able to look at that logs and be able to utilize that information. And so that's one of the things I've seen our, our customers really take a hold of and start finding benefit in. With a typical client, what are the most common alerts or vulnerabilities you see when you first turn on those new SIM tools? So right off the bat, you start seeing the RDP connections. So let's say RDP connection for a user that hasn't connected to a device in the past. That's something that bubbles up very quickly. And that's because the system is not aware of all the users and their pattern yet. 
So that's something that comes up in the beginning. We validate if those connections are legitimate and they should be coming in from those devices and they are expected. Similarly, you have brute force attack. That's quite common as well because these are public facing, let's say Azure AD and users can log into the portals online. So there are attempts by nefarious actors trying to get gain access to this. So brute force attack is also one very common that we see and respond to. What about with compliance? Are you implementing specific tools for clients to help manage their internal compliance efforts? So we have assisted some of our customers to utilize some of the security center and some of the PCI type things that they can look at a number of specific items from an Azure standpoint. And so our teams have utilized some of those things to help set them up. But then also from an internal standpoint, we use some of the, the tunes like Intune is one of our tools we use from a compliancy standpoint in order to really enforce endpoint protection, enforces our Windows update policies. We utilize it to enforce our encryption policies across the board. And so it gives us that one-stop shop where not only is it actually going through and doing the workforce and helping keep the endpoints updated and everything, it also has the ability for us to report from a compliancy standpoint. So we go through our SOC compliances and some of the items that we need to be able to show is that we are updating our workstations and servers and stuff on a regular basis and verify encryption, things of that nature. And so as we've moved more into this Microsoft ecosystem and kind of centralized some of this tooling, now we're able to actually start building reports where in the past we had to touch quite a few different systems to pull some of this information. And so the beauty part about it is, is now we can use some of this automation to actually start dumping reports on a regular basis, start sending out and create tickets for things to be addressed and taken care of. And then at the end of the day, on our regular auditing, we can show these reports to our compliance officers and really reduce that overhead and the time it takes to produce some of this information and validate, verify. So would you say that you have also found these tools quite useful for managing Lunavi compliance audits for things like HIPAA or SOC? Yeah, definitely. We depend on them nowadays on our front from a day-to-day -day work, you know, especially as dispersed as our staff is, it has really helped us get our arms around the fleet and maintain compliance across the board. So Microsoft being an enterprise supplier, as an enterprise-focused company, they already are aware of all the compliance requirements that are there for different type of compliance programs. So finding these are much easier, or let's say there are already some tools and reports available that can answer many of your questions, provide you all the evidence that you require for your audits. So I would say that in some ways it's become easier. Well, that's what you want to hear, right? making our lives easier. Yes, yes. That's technology working. <laughs> well, I think we're kind of winding down here. And so I just wanted to ask you guys about, as we're rounding out 2021, looking ahead to the next year, what are you most looking forward to from a security perspective? Or what are your biggest projects or goals that are upcoming? Some of my biggest projects and goals here, especially as we're starting to crest into 2023, is really getting ready for preparing our enterprises for a lot of the stuff coming for DCOM. So you're going to have that 2012 server 
And there's still quite a few customers in systems out there that are running that. And so really getting ahead of that because it's a year out. If you don't have visibility, you need to have the visibility. So I'm going to be working with our teams internally and externally to start getting some of those things because that takes a lot of planning typically to upgrade and move technologies. You bet. On top of it, continue to consolidate our logs and our telemetry and move them over to the cloud and consolidating our tools to give us more enrichment of data. And then that's also something that will continue. I see us continue doing the next year. When you have all this data, I mean, you guys are using a ton of different tools. You're pulling them together in dashboards. How do you conquer that noise and discover what the top priorities are? That can be a challenge <laughs> holistically. We like to start small and then grow it. And so a lot of times when you're looking at all this data, you have the ability to make alarms by triggering everything under the sun. But really, how valuable is that to you? It's just a bunch of noise. And so we like to prioritize as far as what are we wanting to accomplish, right? Are we trying to look at security? Are we trying to look at something else? And then really focusing on what we want to alert on. And then as we kind of dial them in, because not only do we need to understand the alerts, we have an entire help desk and a team that works behind us. And so as we're building this stuff, we're building our workbooks and building a team that can actually help and assist a customer with it. And so we start small and we start turning it up and then we start deploying it across the customer base to, in order to keep that noise low. When a customer's first coming on, you know, if it's something that we've already done in the past, really, we're not too worried about just turning those things on because we know what to expect and we know how to react and address. Now, if it's a new piece of hardware that we've never actually done any logging on, but there's a connector and available, we'll work with that customer and we'll turn it on. And then we kind of identify and address the noise on them on a case by case. But we, we don't like to turn it on and just make too much noise because you're not going to accomplish anything. <laughs> Another thing to help us prioritize is operationalizing our day-to-day task and then try to delegate that to other teams where we can. And this way, as you know, Bob and I, we are a team of two, so we can only do so much. So we have to prioritize and focus on the top priority things. And anything that we can operationalize, turn it into an SOP and then delegate it to another team, we try doing that and leveraging our teams to maximize the efforts that we have and focus on high priority items. Aside from the GSC, which for our listeners who may not be familiar is our global service center or the help desk Bob alluded to, which teams would you be working with most frequently when you're offloading those security issues or collaborating on a client environment? When it's all client facing on that side of things, it's really going to be our entire GSC team. So our 24 by 7 help desk, they're continually the guys that are up front working the tickets and addressing the issues as the alerts are coming out. And then we have an operational and an engineer escalation path that really get escalated. But we work with all the teams on those sides of things, no matter what it is, because there may be new alerts that we haven't seen. And we all work together to kind of address it and notify the customer of the actions being taken. Awesome. Well, I do want to thank both of you guys. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? No, this was fun. I appreciate you inviting us. I look forward to maybe doing a couple more of these down the road here. 
Yeah, yeah same thanks. here, Joe. Thank you very yeah, much. Uh, love to pull in a guest too sometimes. So look forward to future security recording with both of you guys and maybe somebody special. So thank you both. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time.